0: Christ Covenant Church, um, I'm Pastor Jake, uh, I, uh, I get to serve as the student ministries pastor here, uh, I also get to serve uh, overseeing our college ministry. One of the sweetest things about being with you all every Sunday is the, the fact that this is my church family, my home, you know, that I get to know each and every one of you, well, most of you, lots of you in many different ways, but uh, it's, it's good for us to remember that this is about a month in. Uh, to Grace College students being here, and many of them are still looking for a church home, uh, and some of them have decided to make Christ's covenant in their church home or are still thinking about that, and we want to do our best to welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. So uh, today we have uh, an event after service at the Alcorn's home. Um, there will be an address up there. Yeah, so you can, t- you can take note of that. Where uh, We're, we're going to have just a lunch uh, for college students uh, and give some ways that college students can get connected at our church. So uh, if you're a college student with us, uh, whether you've been here for a couple years or this is, a, this is one of your first Sundays, we'd love to have you come out and eat a home-cooked meal uh, and get to know a little bit more about our church. But we are in Genesis 1 this morning. Can you turn with me to Genesis 1? I think this has been just an incredible series so far, even though we're just a few verses into chapter one of Genesis. It's really stirred in me just like a joy and a curiosity and a wonder at the things God has made. Has that happened for you? I don't know. Like, I feel like going outside, we went apple picking yesterday, and just marveling at all the beautiful things God has made and how he's made them to... To meet our needs and to, to be sweet and enjoyable and beautiful, uh, it makes me think back to the mystery of the beginning. What did it look like as God created all things? No. What, how, how did he do it as He spoke? Just the, the magnificence of God to, to create everything so perfectly. We focused a lot on what God did in creating all things so far. we've talked about. That God was there and he created all things by speaking. He created all things out of nothing. But today I really want to talk about why God created all things. What God did in creating all things, what that looked like might seem more mysterious. But why we might know a little bit more from scripture. Why did God create all of the earth? Why did God create history and time? And why did God create you and me? That's a big question. That's a question that everyone in the world will have to answer at some point. It's one of the ultimate questions of life. Why am I here? What is the purpose for my life? Why, did, why am I existing? And depending on your worldview, you're going to have massively different answers to that question. In our culture, a prevailing worldview uh, is postmodernism. Uh, that there is no truth and no purpose and no God. That there's no ultimate reality. Everything is relative and, and nothing, is, nothing is truly true. And so as that, that worldview sinks into the rest of cultures... When you, ask, when, when you ask them this question, what is the purpose of life... There's, there's a variety of different answers, but none of them really satisfy. I just did a quick search on the internet... What is the purpose of life, you know? If, if, if anyone's going to have an answer to what the purpose of life is, it should be Google, right? Um, so uh, this, is, this, is, this is not an in-depth, these are not in-depth uh, sources. This is just the, the tabloids that I find on the front page of the internet. So psychology today says, this is the answer they give. They say, we evolved so that we can live. Thus, we could also say that we live to evolve. So there's a a circularity here. Evolution is the process that allows organisms to survive and thrive. Humans, along with every living animal or planet, owe our existence to it. Our purpose is to evolve during our lifetime because that is consistent with the evolutionary process. Thus, an, an answer to the ultimate question of what is the purpose of life is that we are here to contribute to live, adapt, and grow. A purpose of life, and our purpose of life is to continue to evolve. Readers, Reader's Digest gives a few different answers from pop culture. They have a, they have a whole uh, article on it. They say, uh, for politician and uh, action film star Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's all about action and winning. The meaning of life is not simply to exist, to survive, but to move ahead, to go up, to achieve, to conquer. The 16th century French writer, philosopher, Francois... Rabelais, I don't know if that's right, and I just, just read it, was less certain, saying that the purpose of life is to seek a great perhaps. American author and mythologist Joseph Campbell managed to define it very, uh, both very broadly and yet very precisely. Life has no meaning, he said. Each of us has meaning, and we bring it to life. It is a waste to be asking the question when you are the answer. Then you have The Silly, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The fantasy author Douglas Adams famously uh, calculated that the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything, is 42. And he added, that's the answer. Unfortunately, no one knows the question. (laughs) Ultimately, the author of Reader's Digest concludes there is no right answer to what is the purpose of life. There's a bunch of right answers. But don't let that fool you into thinking any old purpose will do. Be thoughtful about your purpose because there are wrong answers too. That's nice and specific. <laughs> so we can see how relativity, lack of truth, lack of ultimate reality has seeped into our culture and how they wrestle with this ultimate question, what is the purpose of my life? And they just, there can't be a satisfactory answer. And I believe that purposelessness affects us a lot more than a couple of crummy internet tabloids. A 2018 Harvard IOP study on youth aged 18 through 29 found that nearly 70% of students polled said they feel like they have little to absolutely no energy for their day. 51% said that they feel absolutely hopeless. And nearly 30% said that they would be better off dead. This is not only reflected in the way people feel, but the way people live their lives. Drifting, unmotivated, self-seeking lives, not knowing what to do. Purposeless. It's amazing but uh, that God has made all these wonderful and beautiful things, but of all of the wonderful things that God has made, you and I are the ones that are made in his image. And that means a lot for our purpose in life. What, what, what is the, and that each person, not just our purpose, but every person ever created is made in the divine image of God and has Divine significance on their life. The the answer to that question, you and I must be experts on the answer to the question, what is the purpose of life? Because it's one that we all must answer. Every single human that has ever lived must answer that question. They must have the right answer because it has divine implications. Let's read Genesis 1. 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our image and likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is God's word. So as we're reading Genesis 1, one thing we've been talking about uh, every week as we've been going over, why is Moses writing this specific chapter? We, we, we know that Moses is writing Genesis 1. We suppose that Moses writing Genesis 1 is an answer to other popular worldviews at the time. Uh, about where they thought everything came from, uh, what what their religious beliefs were. And Moses is starting to say, this is how the world was actually created, and this is what it's all about. So, so far, we've walked through the seven days of creation. And we've noticed a pattern of how God creates, right? He makes something, and then he fills it, right? He, he creates the, the night and the morning, and then he fills it with the sun and the stars. He makes the land and the sea, and then he fills, it with the, he fills the sky with the birds and the sea with the fish and the land with the animals. He's made something, and he's filled it. He said, let there be, and then there was, and he sees that it's good, and we see this pattern going on through Genesis 1. As a pattern of how, how Moses is showing the days of creation. We see, we've see we fallen into this pattern now for, for six days of creation. But you'll notice that in verse 26, the pattern gets broken. There's, there's something different. And then God said, let us make man in our image. That's distinct. That's different than the rest of everything else he has made. He's set above creation. Right away, he puts man in the context of the rest of creation. He says, let them have dominion over all of these other created beings. And then, you'll notice, right after he talks about the creation of man, and after he gives him dominion over all things, Moses breaks out into inspired poetry there, in verse 27. So, As Moses is writing Genesis 1 to show the creation of the world, he's trying to highlight how different man is from everything else that is being made. And what is the exact difference, right? Man is different from the rest of creation because he is above it. He has dominion over it. And he is the only thing that is made in the image of God. So if you think about all the popular worldviews of that day, The word image would have had significance because they would have been worshiping images in that culture. They would have been worshiping different images that they thought were God. Like they would have been setting up idols, you know, and said, okay, this is the image of God here. And I'm going to bow down and worship and sacrifice to this thing. So Moses is saying, no, that's not the image of God. God has actually put his image in every human being. Well, does that mean that man is to be bowed down and worshiped to you? No, that's another lie Another false cultural belief that Moses was addressing, because there was often kings um, who would have said, "I'm made in the image of the gods." You know, these these secular kings would have, from all the other cultures around Israel, they would have set themselves up as basically the image of God on earth, and said, "I'm going to speak, and therefore that's what God is saying. I'm basically God to you." And so Moses, in showing that we are all made in the image of God. Sets men on an equal playing field with one another and, and goes after the lie that, they are, that men can speak on behalf of God because man, while man is made in the image of God, he's made in the likeness of God as well. He's like God, but he is not fully God, right? He's not, he doesn't have God's sovereignty and God's rule. He's made to reflect God. He's made to serve God as an under king under God, but he Im- himself is not God. So he addresses these false worldviews. And really also what Moses is doing here is not only addressing false worldviews, but you think if we, don't ha- if we stop Genesis 1 at verse 25, what do we have for the rest of the law? What do we have for the rest of Scripture even? What Moses does in introducing man and talking about who man is and what his purpose is in verses 26 and 27, he not only sets up the context for the rest of the law The rest of Genesis, the rest of the law, the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Bible, the rest of history is built on the foundation of Genesis 26 and 27 that we are created with a purpose and that the purpose of what God has made, God has made all of the world for his glory. But specifically, of all the things he has made, he has made man to reflect his glory the most distinctly. This the concept of the image of God has implications that go throughout all of history and all of scripture. But but I think before we really get into those deep implications, we first have to define what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And I, I really like a simple answer to this question. I think there's a lot of ways you could remark at the likeness of man to God, like his creative ability. His intellect, his relational ability, his spiritual nature, those are all things that you could go on. And I think those are all right answers to the question. Those are all, I think those are all reflections of how we're made in God's image. But I love how John Piper talks about how we're made in the image of God. He said, he says, an image is made to image. That's pretty simple, right? Like if you go to the Lincoln Memorial and you look at the Lincoln Memorial, what are you going to think of? Lincoln, right? (laughs) Like uh, You're going to look at the image of Lincoln and think of Lincoln. Think about what he's done. Think about his significance. So that image of Lincoln was made to help us think about Lincoln, right? That's pretty simple. Think about the visceral reactions. We all know this is true. The visceral reactions people have to images in today's culture. We all know the significance of images because we see how, how the world responds to them. Like even recently uh, in the last few years, a big, a big uh, topic of political discussion has been the removal of certain images, right? The, like these Confederate statues uh, because of what they represented. People look at those statues, statues and are offended because they're like, well, that represents the Confederacy and racism and a lot of things that I don't, I don't like because they look at that image and there's significance in that image and they want to remove those images. We know that images... Powerfully, in some ways, portray the thing that they are imaging. (laughs) And so you and I are made to image God, to show God's glory to all the earth. That's the most simple way that I think we can define what it means to be made in the image of God. That our ultimate purpose is to be what God has most distinctly created to reflect his image And his glory to the world. So what are the implications. Of being made. In the image of God. I think about it in in kind of three terms. We We are greater than. Equal to. And less than. If we're created in the image of God. Then we are greater than. The rest of creation, and that's a pretty magnificent thing to say, because all creation is made to display God's image, right, or to display God's glory. Uh, If you think about that, that's that's biblically a true idea. Even what we what we read in Psalm eight, David is marveling at this idea. He's like, when I consider all the things that you have made, what is man that you're mindful of him? He's amazed, looking, he says, I can't believe after seeing the sun and the the stars and the sea and all the living things that you have created, that it's man. That's man you're mindful of. That he's the one who is created in your image. Or Psalm 19, right? uh, In in Psalm 19, David says, "Um, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. We see God up as we look up into the sky. And you can marvel at that too. But the, the greatest way. That you and I see God's image. And God's glory displayed. Is when we look at each other. You, you, if you want to see the greatest display. Of God's glory. Look to your left and to your right. Those are image bearers. Created. To reflect most supremely. God's grandest display. Of glory. And. Even in all of those other created things that he made, as they are to display his glory, think about how they are to display his glory. He gives them, he gives us, he gives man dominion over them. They have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the living, uh, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, even all these other beautiful created things, what God does is he creates this beautiful creation that displays his glory and then he gives it to man to have dominion over it. And he says, you will rule over this and the way that man interacts and sees God in all of creation is ultimately how God gets great glory from all these other created things that he has made. That's one of the, the prime ways that God gets glory from all the other created things is how we interact with it. So we are above all other created things. And our sin can often cause us to misuse the other created things and misplace the way that we, we put value on them. Romans 1 talks about this. Paul, Paul discusses this problem, of how we view all other created things. He says that God displays... His character in all of the, and everything that he's made, but that as we're given over to the depravity of our mind and over to sin, what we do then, the, the next thing that, that, that follows after our depravity of our mind and, and given over to our sinful tendencies is that we worship the created things rather than the Creator. It's a problem called idolatry, right? And it's easy to see when you look back at the popular worldviews of Moses' day. They're literally making statues of created things and bowing down and worshiping them. But this is the age-old problem of man, that we create idols of the things that God has made and place eternal significance on things that were created to point us to God that we're created to give Him glory and that, we're, that God has given us so that we can use to give Him glory supremely, right? We have, so if we are created in the image of God, we must remember that everything that God has made, all the other created things, God has made us greater than those created things and that He's made those things in us for His glory, right? All men are created with equal dignity. That's the second thing. So we're, we're greater than the created things. We are equal to one another, He Moses is looking at the culture and he's saying these kings are elevating themselves above everybody else and they're saying, I'm the only one made in the image of God. But he says that's not actually true. That we are all created in God's image. And that we all have equal dignity. This is how the image of God is often referenced throughout the rest of scripture. Genesis 9 says this, whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. We treat each other with dignity. We don't murder each other because that's murdering someone made in the image of God. And this is after the fall. This is after man has sinned. The image of God is still retained there. You and I, even though we're sinful and marred, we still have dignity. And to murder someone else, the primary offense in it is not so much even that you have hurt another person, but ultimately that you've, made some, you've hurt someone with the dignity made in the image of God, right? The primary offense is against God. We have that dignity given to us and being made in his image. James 3 also talks about this. James 3, 9 and 10 says, speaking about our tongue, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. But the primary offense in how I talk, use my tongue to you, if I sin against you by cursing you with my tongue, the primary offense in that is not so much that I've made you feel bad, but that I've degraded someone made in the image of God. Every person on planet earth has value and dignity because God has made them as someone to reflect his glory to the rest of the world. Now that has been marred by sin. We, We do need to be restored in God's image. But no matter who you are, you can know that God has made you with a great purpose. That no matter if you are looking at the rest of the world and they're telling you that you do not have value. Oh man, I think about the toxicity of social media and uh, and how. Uh, there's these influencers that curate for themselves a a perfect life. And they say, well, I travel all over the world and my life is so great and interesting and I'm the best at physical fitness or I have the greatest fashion or I get the most followers or I have the most money. And people make this image of themselves and they they show themselves off as the ideal of someone to be made into. And if we captivate ourselves with that image... And, give, and think about that as being glorious. Often we can think about who we are and, and look in the mirror and as we look back at ourselves we say, I, I don't travel, I don't have a lot of a disposable income, I'm out of shape, I'm not doing this or that with my life. And degrade who we our purpose and say, man, my life is, my life is meaningless because it's not this or that. But As we look at God's word, God wants you to know that no matter who you are, every single person has been made in his image and has value. If if we all have been made in the image of God and every human being has equal dignity, think about the implications of that in our culture. Racism is not an option. If each and every person, all around the world, in every single culture has been made to reflect God's image. We cannot elevate one person over another because of their race. God has called us all as humanity to reflect His image together. Every person, regardless of age, has divine value. First Corinthians 11, Paul talks about this, that the image of God is passed on by the mother. And even here we see in verse 27, at the end of this poetry, he says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And what is the blessing that he, or the the, um, command that he gives to male and female right after that? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so he gives this, this command to proliferate the image of God, to spread it throughout all the earth. He wants his images for his glory to be spread all throughout the earth. And he does that, through the procreation of human beings. So every little child, every infant has supreme value as an image bearer of God. No matter how old they are, what station of life they might find themselves in, how hard their family circumstances might be, how unstable their life around them might be, no matter how convenient they might be, every single person ever made is created in God's image. And therefore, they have value. And then think about the implications that has for us on our marriages and our relationships. If God has made man and woman and the procreation, the coming together of a man and a woman, to be so sacred that it is passing on the image of God, how should we value the relational sacredness of our marriages how should we value the unity of our families and honor our father and mother? It's God to use them to pass on the image of God to you. And yet oh, I, before I move on, before I get to end yet, I, I have to mention, in the, at the beginning of verse 26, we can't, we can't pass this passage without noticing how god says let us make man in our image right now moses in his time he wasn't putting together a trinitarian doctrine he wasn't he wasn't specifically he's like he's not thinking while he's writing this oh man i need to make sure i use the word us instead of let me make man in my own image he says let us make man in our image you know, he's not thinking about the Trinity here because he doesn't even know who God the Son is at this point. But God knows, right? And he so inspired Moses to write in the creation of man that God makes man in... you know, He said, let us make man in our image. God eternally, three persons in one. He's one God with three different persons. And the, the way that God relates with himself is perfect. He has a perfect relationship. There's a perfect relationship of honor and submission and love between the Father and the Son, and the the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit and the Father. There's a perfect relationship and unity with them. God is a relational God and has eternally been a relational God. And so even as we treat one another with dignity, we're displaying some of the greatest attributes of who God has made us to be right? We we display God's love and kindness and forgiveness and celebration and mourning and trust and partnership all together. These are some of the most significant ways we reflect God's image and the way that we treat one another. Because God is a perfect relational God. And as we treat those who are made in God's image with dignity and kindness and love and the way that God acts, we reflect God to one another. But if we stop there, at the implications of God's image. We can't just stop there, right? Because this is the, if we just said, okay, God made us to relate with one another well and to treat other people really kindly, and that's the purpose of being made in the image of God. We've fallen short. We've missed the whole point, the biggest point of being made in God's image. And this is the lie that Satan wants us to believe in Genesis 3, right? That you can just be like God yourselves, you don't have to think about anyone above. You have you have no accountability. Just be like God as a human race and decide how you want to live on your own. As a lie, we've heard over and over in our world that the world would just be a better place if we just got rid of our differences and tolerate one another and got along that you can live your greatest dream and everyone else can live their own destiny. Even in in talking about the purposes of life, you notice how each of those secular authors, authors were so careful to say, well, you get to live your own way. This is a purpose of life. This is my definition, but you live your own way, right? If... If it's all just about being kind and tolerant and getting along with one another, we've fallen completely short of really reflecting God's image. Because our greatest purpose of being made in God's image is reflecting God. You and I, having been made in the image of God, have been given the ability to have relationship with God. This is, this is the biggest significance of being made in his image. The kids that go to Lost and Found should know this. What is my greatest comfort in life and death? Anybody? Say it again. What? Hear it, kids. Let me hear it. Ah, very good. Yes. Very good. I heard a few out there. A round of applause for that, right? Good job. It's awesome that, uh, that they're, they're, they're learning that, right? The image of God is God putting his ownership stamp on us. We are his. We're not our own. Our lives are not our own. Our destiny is not our own. Our greatest purpose is not our own. It's not just about treating man the way that man wants to be treated. We cannot fulfill our greatest purpose unless we are in relationship with God and reflecting God to the world. So when we talk about how the image of God was marred at the fall, we see that like we're given, we're, God is walking with man in the garden. He's the only animal that God walks with. or Not the, not the only animal, the only creation. He's not an animal. <laughs> He's the only created thing that God is walking with. He's not walking with all of the crickets in the garden. He's walking with man in the garden. And he has relationship with man in the garden. And what's the thing that's marred at the fall? He's lost his ability to be walking with God. Still there's relationship with God. Still there's an ability in some ways to relate with God. But ultimately, because of his sin, this ability to relate with God and be in relationship with God has been significantly marred. That... Even the law talks about the image of God in a way, right? That God says we should be holy as he is holy. That's reflection language. That's that's God saying you should look like me to the rest of the world. You should be holy as I am holy. And as we read the law, as Moses writes the law, he he ultimately points us to the fact that because of our sin and our sinful condition, because of the fall, you and I can't rightly reflect God to the world. We cannot be holy as God is holy. And all of Scripture continues after that to point to the fact that we need some restoration. We need some restored relationship, restored righteousness. We need some perfect picture of who God is. And this is where the greatest implication of the image of God comes in that Christ is the perfect image of God. Paul says this in Colossians 1 15. He says that Christ speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. No one has ever seen God, John says, but In Christ, he was made visible for us to see the exact imprint of his nature. As scripture calls Christ, Jesus was the perfect image of God. In God's supreme display of his glory for all time, he sends his own son to be the image of the invisible God. The exact imprint of his nature to rule, to love to perfectly reflect God and enjoy relationship with God. Jesus' life is the perfect fulfillment of man reflecting God to the world. When we look at Genesis 1, the only man who has ever perfectly reflected God to the world and been the perfect image of God has been Christ, right? He's the only one who has ever perfectly fulfilled his purpose, the purpose of man. And he became like us. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And then what that means is that Christ perfectly fulfilled God's purpose for man and coming and reflecting his image to the world. He took that perfect image of God and he put it on us. So now when God sees us, he sees the glory of Jesus perfectly reflecting his image. And he bore our sin so that we didn't have to. So we didn't have to fail at what God had made us for. Now we can actually reflect God's glory because of what Christ has done. So the image of God is Moses. When we talk about Genesis, the themes of Genesis being poked throughout all of Scripture, when we look at the image of God... This is the canvas on which God will paint his redemptive story for all of mankind. This is the way that God is saying there's going to be one who will come one day who will perfectly reflect my image and it's in Christ. And God gets the ultimate glory for what Christ has done. And in the gospel we have even more hope than that. That not only has Jesus been the perfect image of God, not only has his Righteousness been imputed, has been given and covering us. But we can be renewed and restored in the image of God. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3. He's talking about put he says, first in the beginning of Colossians 3, he says, set your mind on things above, not on things below, because your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then he goes on to talk about putting off the old self. And when he starts talking about putting on the new self, look at what he says here in Colossians 3.10. He says, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are not only... Covered in the righteousness of Christ. But the gospel is also that God is continuing his work on you. He is making you back into the image of God. So that you can live a life of purpose and fulfillment. Reflecting God to the rest of the world like you were made to do. It's the only way. He says this, continuing on. He said, put on then as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful for let the word of God or of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're being renewed in God's image. And this is... This is one of those commands in Scripture that it's, that, that, where we see our action is involved in this, right? It is, as a part of our sanctification, our being made to look like God, there is an active, active part we play in this. We are to put off the old self and to put on the new self. We are to pursue Christ-likeness. How do we do that? Through dependence on God and through relationship with Christ. There's a complete dependency on this too, right? Look at back at verse 10. It says, which is being renewed. That's a passive verb, right? And the knowledge after the image of its creator. So we put off our own self. We pursue Christ. We pursue Christ-likeness and being transformed in God's image. But ultimately, we are totally dependent on God's work to be shaping us, to be restoring this sculpture of him this, so that we can show his glory to the rest of the world rightly. He is transforming us as we pursue him, right? And it's this relationship with Christ that is the restorative agent in our lives. Listen to how Paul talks about the process of being made back into the image of God. We are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. We are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And everything we do in word or in deed, is that all that we do in word or in deed is in the name of Christ. So as Jesus soaks into every fiber of our being and he fills our hearts and our minds and our relationships and our activities and everything we do, we are renewed to live the life that we were meant to live, to, live it, to, be, to be displaying the image of God only through that relationship with Christ. And only then we can rightly worship God in the creation that he has made. And only then we can display to the world, as as God's images, his compassion and his kindness and his humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love and peace. Think about this. Paul here in, the, in Colossians 3, the first relationship that he begins to talk about displaying God's image to one another in is in the relationship of the church. He commands us to sing to one another, to teach and admonish one another, to give thanks with one another, that we are to display God's image. The first place that Paul talks about displaying God's image to one another, the first relationship he talks about displaying it in is in our relationship to one another. So as we come on Sunday mornings and we gather together as his church in different ways, our relationship with Christ, our unity with him, should be displayed to one another as we show god 's glory to one another that 's why that 's why the church is called the temple of God, the dwelling place of God, as church members, as parents, as husbands and wives, as children, as masters, as slaves paul Paul goes on and all of these different relationships right after this in Colossians three, to talk about all the implications that being transformed back into the image of God has on, our, on all of our relationships. But in all we do, in every relationship, our goal is to give glory to God by being united with Christ and showing him to one another. So to conclude, I want us just to remember, I want, I, I want to speak to those of you who are here who may feel purposeless in life, drifting Maybe as I was talking about those ultimate questions in life, what, and I asked, ask, what, is, what is the purpose for your life? Maybe you don't know the answer to that question. Maybe you do not yet know that your life is God's and that the, your purpose in life is to be united with him and to show his glory to the rest of the world. I... I want you to know that God has made you with incredible value and dignity. He has made your life with purpose for his glory. It doesn't have to be wasted. You can know God and you can know what you were made to be through a relationship with Christ. That is open to you. And if you are in Christ, And you're feeling, still feeling this lack of purpose. Maybe you could ask a couple of valuative questions of your own life. Is there anything in your life, any created thing, that you're maybe elevating in importance above the creator? Is there any way that idolatry has creeped into your life? Maybe career, or money, or personal pleasure... Is there any way that those things have creeped into your life above God? Even family, comfort. Are you elevating yourself above God? Have you been so consumed with thoughts of yourself that you have lost sight of your true purpose? That your life is not about reflecting you in your own glory, but it's ultimately about reflecting the Lord. Have you forgotten your dignity and worth in your life? Have you heard all these voices from the world saying you need to look like this or you need to do this and condemned yourself and filled your, as as Satan filled your heart and your mind with lies telling you that you don't have glory, you don't have the ability to reflect God's image to the rest of the world? Are you experiencing closeness with Christ? Is Christ soaking into every part of your life? Are you letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Is the peace of Christ ruling in your heart? Are you being moved by the love of Christ? Are you doing all things in the name of Christ? Do you have a a good and close walk with the Lord? If you're experiencing purposelessness and you know Christ, know that this this action of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. God has given you everything you need to walk with, with true purpose and reflecting His image. He's given you everything you need in His spirit, and He's made available to you uh, this, this great purpose through our redemption in Christ. So you don't have to live purposeless. God wants you to know today that in Christ, you can try, find true fulfillment the greatest purpose of your life, and that's to give God glory to be his image to the rest of the world.